Good morning. You have all made it. It's hard, isn't it? The holidays are tough because you um, forget what day it is <laughs> and who you are and what time you're supposed to get out of bed. So good for you. I'm glad to see you here. Um, my name is Dana. I'm one of the pastors here at Erickson Covenant Church. And um, guess what? It's New Year's Eve tonight. Are you ready for that? No, nobody's ready. <laughs> Nobody's ready. We just barely got to church. I get it. That's fine. It's kind of an abrupt transition, isn't it? The whole switch from Christmas to New Year's. Like I was thinking about how just last week, like one week ago, we were all at the auditorium at the high school and the lights were dim and there were pretty decorations. Everything was twinkly and we all felt warm and nostalgic and hopeful for this beautiful, relaxing season. And now like a week later, we are already so far behind, <laughs> right? How does that happen? It's the fastest week ever. Like the decorations aren't put away yet. Like this tree is about to, I don't know, like nobody light anything near that tree. So uh, <laughs> the, the decorations are gone. There's piles of boxes and presents that haven't been put away. The fridge is full of leftovers that we're tired of. We've all gained weight. And if we're honest, we kind of wish the kids were going back to school tomorrow. <laughs> I don't have kids, so not me, but I imagine that's true. Um, and in the midst of that whirlwind, like somehow we are supposed to, by tonight, have had the chance to reflect on our year and decide on some meaningful, life-altering vows that we will make to improve ourselves for next year. Good. <laughs> well, at least we have the afternoon. Um, we've been in this series through the weeks of Advent uh, called The Ultimate Christmas Gift Exchange, and we've been talking about what kinds of things we might need to set down in order to pick up what Jesus has for us. And so over the course of that time, we've talked about uh, it's setting down the quick fixes so that we could pick up hope. And we talked about sitting, sitting, setting <laughs> That's me. I'm tired. Let's sit down. Okay. We talked about setting down uh, the false sources of love and affirmation so that we could pick up the true love that can really only come from the Father. And we talked about setting down consumerism so that we could pick up joy. And then last week on Christmas Eve, we talked about setting down our expectations so that we could pick up peace. And this has been a fruitful uh, series. There's been a lot of good stuff come out of that. I had one, one person, some of you know Audrey Bondersack, told me, she says, yeah, I went shopping and I filled up my basket and then I got to the checkout and I thought, Dana wanted us to just set our baskets down and walk out of the store. She said, I sort of stood there with my basket and I went, but we are out of potatoes. <laughs> I thought that was great. I'm so happy she even thought of it, right? That's amazing. You never know if people remember what you say when you're up here. Um, and I've had a lot of people tell me, oh, my gosh, a Christmas Eve message, like setting down expectations or letting go of those uh, expectations for perfect family and perfect Christmas. That was so timely. It really let me enjoy my family. So I'm glad for that. Um, but I want these things to be true of me, not just at Christmas time. Right? Like, I want the changes that I make in my life to stick. And it's hard to make change stick. Did you know that only 8% of people keep their New Year's resolutions? 
Like, I don't know that for sure because I got that stat from a late night talk show host. <laughs> but I did, I did watch videos. Like, I listened to two late night talk show hosts talk about resolutions just to check my facts. And one of them said 45 people follow through and the other said 8 or 45%, the other, person, the other person said 8%, and both of those seemed high to me, so I just, I don't know, I don't know. But um, every year, I think we diligently, diligently make these resolutions, and then the vast majority of the time, we break them within a week. It's okay to laugh at this one. Yeah, I'm going to attempt to drink less coffee and more water. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. Mmm, coffee. That that says. Okay. <laughs> I have always found it incredibly hard to change. When I was 12 years old, my mother had an alouette party. Do you guys know what alouette is? No, nobody, maybe. It's like only from Ontario, I guess. I don't know. But it's kind of like Mary Kay. Do you know what Mary Kay is? It's like a beauty line that is sold through in home parties like Tupperware. So this is kind of what it looks like. They sell all kinds of products. And anyway, one of our neighbors sold Mary er, sold Alouette, and so we booked a party. And the parties were fun because she would pick a volunteer, who was me, and, and then she would do a whole thing. Like she would give you a facial, like in the living room in front of everyone. Anyway, she'd give you a facial, and then she'd do your nails, and she'd give you a makeover. And it was very exciting. So we had this party, and... Uh, I was excited. And here's the thing. I was 12 years old, and I was desperate, desperate for my mother to let me wear makeup, eyeshadow, and lipstick to school like all the other kids um, in my class. Probably two other girls. I don't know. But I felt like I was so grown up that I should be allowed to wear makeup every day. And uh, the truth is, I had some acne when I was 12, and my mom and I had different, like, ideas about how to handle that situation. Like, I wanted to wear makeup so I could cover it up, and my mom wanted me to adopt a very healthy and beneficial skincare routine so that I would get rid of it. Uh, And we fought about that fairly often. But the Alouette Party gave my mom this idea for a compromise. She said that she would buy me lipstick and eyeshadow, blue eyeshadow, obviously, because it was the early 90s, Yeah, that's right. You all know. (laughs) And she would let me wear that stuff to school if I would agree to use the three-step Alouette skincare line for teenagers. It was face wash, toner, and moisturizer twice a day, every day for the rest of my life. And I did not think that sounded very good. (laughs) I was more, and I still am, more of the, like, stay up as late as possible and flop into bed with your makeup on and then wipe it off in a rush the next morning kind of person. But blue eyeshadow and lipstick sounded pretty good to me, so I made the deal. This is not an exaggeration. I don't think it means I'm a bad person, but anyway, I've worn makeup about 98% of the time since that time, since that day, and I kept up the skincare routine for like a week and a half. Well into my 30s, my mother would confront me and ask me what I was doing for a skincare routine. And some of you are probably going to make suggestions to me afterwards at coffee hour, so I will be prepared for that. Um, But the truth is, I just couldn't get into it. I couldn't stick with it. It didn't work for me. It was hard to make change stick. The same thing would happen in my last job. Every year we had to fill out an annual plan, which was this document where we outlined what our goals were for the year and how we were going to achieve them. And I was brilliant at hitting my targets and work. 
But because I worked in ministry and they cared about us and our well-being and blah, 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 there would always be this little section about our personal lives. And I don't know how many years I wrote in this section about my personal life, I'll exercise more and I'll, I'll have more prayer time. And the whole year would go by and I would take out that thing to look and see how I did and think, oh, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> like just year after year, I'd never changed a thing. It's not that I didn't ever pray, don't worry, because I am a pastor. But, um, <clears throat> but I, I just, like I didn't change it. It was hard to make change stick. So what are we going to do? I watched this video where uh, somebody is out there interviewing people on the street about how their New Year's resolutions are going. It's like the 2nd of January. And there's one, I mean, most people, they just already failed. But there's one guy who was like, I don't make resolutions anymore. I don't set myself up for failure. (laughs) And I thought that was good, actually. Like, I appreciated that perspective. I was like, okay, well, that's kind of funny. But it also indicates, like, (laughs) self-acceptance. And a willingness to call a spade a spade. I know I'm not going to keep it. Why would I do that? But the problem is that we have to grow, don't we? Like we have to somehow figure out how to make changes in our lives. We have to take on new responsibilities. We have to develop good life patterns. We have to become mature adults. And if we're people who are following Jesus, we also have to grow in our faith. It doesn't work for that to stay the same year after year after year. In fact, we talked a lot about that in the early fall, how we want to grow in maturity and commitment to mission. And so that's our dilemma at this time of year. We often fail when we make resolutions, but it's important that we learn how to change and grow so that in the words of Ephesians, we can grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. In John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples about how to find the Father and about the the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Abide in me sounds so nice. Sometimes it's translated remain in me. Doesn't that sound nice? Just remain in Jesus, abide in him. What does that mean? I never understand what this means. I've heard it so many times, and I always think, yeah, I don't know how to do that. (laughs) I don't know what that looks like. How do you grow up in Christ? How do you abide in someone? I'm grateful that he, like, explains a little bit more in verse 9. I always feel like verse 9 is the rescuing verse for me, which is why it's printed in your bulletin. It says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love, or abide in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And so if we're working out how to remain or abide in Jesus, how to grow to maturity in him, he says the way to do that is to keep my commands. The one he specifies in here, uh, to love each other as I have loved you, that sounds simple, but it turns out to be quite challenging. How many people over the Christmas holiday did you love in the same way that Jesus loved you? 
that's harder than it sounds. So today, as we're looking ahead to the new year, I want to introduce you to a spiritual discipline that might help us remain in Jesus. It might help us keep his commands. The spiritual discipline, um, it's just a practice that we adopt in our spiritual lives. So like Bible study can be a spiritual discipline, um, but so can keeping silence. That's an interesting one. Or prayer walking or fasting or confession. There are a lot of them. And if you're interested in learning about them, there's a book on the rack by the doors there. It looks like this. called The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. And this is basically a glossary of, I don't know, like 100 spiritual disciplines. But they're described really succinctly and clearly so that you can decide which ones might work in your life and put them into practice, start practicing them. And all spiritual disciplines, anyone you choose, will develop us as believers. It's the same way a runner would train for a marathon. Spiritual disciplines strengthen our spiritual muscles so that we get stronger. Like when we fast on a regular basis, if you were to take up fasting, we learn how to control our bodily desires and submit those to God. Because we find that we have to turn to God for patience and strength and self-control when we're like hungry and cranky because that's what happens when you fast. You get hungry and cranky. And over time, that develops in us this deep understanding and conviction that we are not subject to the whims of desire. We can say yes and no to what our body wants with wisdom and it doesn't have to control us. That's really powerful. That's fasting. Well, today I want us to consider, wouldn't it be funny if that's what I was going to ask us to do New Year's Eve? Let's consider fasting. It's not. Okay. Um, Today I want us to consider a discipline called a rule for life. It's a set of practices that we create, that we write down and decide on ourselves, that form the basis for our spiritual lives. It's kind of a way of outlining, this is how I will live so that we can be well with God. Like any religious order, like a monastery, would have a rule for life that everyone shares, and it would involve a schedule or a rhythm to the day and the week that has time for work and for rest and for uh, prayer and for worship, and everybody keeps that together. And a, a rhythm is actually not a bad way to think about this. What will be the rhythm of my life so I can be well with God? It's not a complicated thing to write, or it doesn't have to be. It's just a list of statements about things that you'll do all the time, the regular routine of your life. Things like, I'll pray each day, or I'll come to worship service on Sunday, or I'll reach out in service to my neighbors. But I do want to say it's not a list of resolutions. right? A rule for life is not a, a whole bunch of extra things that we're going to try to tack on to our already busy life. And it's not some kind of unrealistic ideal. It's not a list of every possible thing that could be good for you that forms this ideal that you're always striving for, but you never reach it. It's not that. It's a set of really basic practices, the minimum things that are necessary for you to be well with God. It feels counterintuitive to aim for the minimum, right, instead of the ideal. But it's really important for us to know what must absolutely be true of my rhythm 
to be well with God. There's lots of other things that are good for me, and those might come and go in different seasons. But what's the baseline? What will I always need to do? You guys seen the movie, the movie Gravity? It's like a couple of years old now, but it's where Sandra Bullock is an astronaut, and she's in space, and everybody else in her crew ends up dying, so she's alone in space. Have you seen that? No, it didn't make it to our theater. That's too bad. It was like an Oscar award-winning movie. Anyway, look that up if you want. So that's the, that's the premise. She's alone in space, and she has to get home. And there's this scene where she's outside the spaceship trying to repair something, and, and she, like, lets go of the spaceship for some reason. I can't remember. And she's drifting away. And the thing is, because there's no gravity in space, you just drift forever. You can't change your own direction. You can't get back. Like, there's no force that will act upon you. You're just she's, she's dead if that happens because she's just going to go forever. And then she, like, catches on this rope that she's tied up probably fancier than rope, right? Like it's made of special space material. I don't know, it's space rope. And so anyway, her space rope catches her all of a sudden, and she can pull herself back. It's this tether. And it brings her back to the spaceship to the possibility for life. A rule for life is like that. It tethers us, holding on to us when we're drifting and keeping us connected to God. And it works because we don't have to decide about it every single day. It's just part of the routine, the rhythm, and it keeps us connected. Kind of like brushing your teeth. If you had to choose about brushing your teeth every day, some of you might brush them a lot less than you do, right? But you don't think about it. You just do it in the morning first thing because that's the thing that you do. And we are very grateful for that. Everybody is. All right. Now, here's the thing. I just want to be really honest. I resist rules. I just, I have always resented being forced to do something, and I even resent it when I chose it. You know, like, even if it's something I imposed on myself, I can resent it. And I know that happens for you, because I know that some of you resented having to come to the Bible studies all fall, even though you signed up for those yourself. That's fine. That's fine. Here's what I've noticed in my life. The times when I am most fruitful, when I'm most connected to God and to the people around me, have been for me when I've lived in intentional communities where there are rhythms built in to the days and weeks for our life together. So when there's house prayer at 8 a.m. every morning and there's a Bible study on Wednesday afternoons and supper together at 6 and there's a weekly potluck that is open to anybody in the neighborhood, well, in those seasons... I find I do great at Bible study and prayer and friendship and outreach. I can fit all those things into my life. Of course, because they're just built into the rhythm. Everybody does it. It's harder when that's not true, when I have to choose all the time. But you don't even have to live in intentional community to see that pattern. When I was interviewing people for the Timothy Project, um, I asked everybody, tell me about a time in your life when you were really growing in your faith and what made that possible. And almost every person talked about a time when they were part of a class or part of a small group or part of a team of some kind that happened on a regular basis. And some of you just finished 11 weeks of Alpha, right? And my guess is that you felt more tethered to God during the 11 weeks of Alpha than you did in the 11 weeks before that, or than you have in the three weeks since it ended. 
Now, some of that is because Alpha is an excellent course. It really is. Or the small group that you were in was great, or the material was fantastic. But some of it is simply that there was a designated time every week that you showed up. And you showed up, and you learned about God, and you built relationships with other people. And it matters how we interpret those kinds of things, because if we think that what made our growth possible was a very specific program, then we're doomed not to grow again until the church runs that program again, or something almost exactly like it. But if we understand that in order to be tethered to God, at the very least what we need in our lives is a designated time when we show up and we learn together and we build into relationships, well, we can make that part of our rhythm in almost every season. And so a rule for life is a set of practices that form the baseline we need in our lives to be tethered to God. It's not the highest possible ideal, but it's the foundation or the starting place. Um, Three years ago, my mother discovered Norwax cloths. I think she might have a problem with products that are sold at in-home parties. And... um, and she, these are, she gave me a couple of face cloths. They look like this. I know you've heard of Norwex. They're made of microfiber. They're really soft and gentle. And the great thing about Norwex is that if you're using this face cloth, you don't have to use any kind of cleanser or soap. You just wet it and wipe your face, and all the makeup and dirt comes off. It's amazing. Hallelujah. Right? I also, like last year, found, finally found a face cream I really like, and it smells like my grandmother, like roses and geraniums, I don't know. And it, whatever, that works for me. And it turns out that now, finally, 37 years old, and I finally have the skincare routine I've been looking for since I was 12. My rule of skincare cannot be a three-bottle, five-step process. That does not work for me. My rule of skincare is Norwex cloth rose cream. That's it. Done. In the same way, our rule of life has to be simple. It has to reflect who we are individually. It has to reflect the gifts that I have and the way that I learn and the season of life that I happen to be in right now. And so not everyone is going to need the same things or find the same disciplines helpful. That's fine. It's why you write your own. It's not a one-size-fits-all. So how do you get started doing that? Um, I made some handouts for you. I have to find it in my folder. But they're in your bulletin. They look like this. Um, And I'm going to put this up on the screen so you can follow along. But basically, there's three steps and some questions in each one. And if you decide you want to do this, it might take you a couple of weeks to answer the questions and make some decisions about it. So here's step one. Assess your life. So this is where you're going to take some time to reflect on your spiritual life and your current reality and your hopes and desires. And we're going to ask questions like, what is most important to you? Who do you want to become? What limitations are built into your life at this moment? So that means things like, um, like if you work a job that's 10 days on, 10 days off, and so you're away for half the time, it's not going to make sense for you to commit to being at church every single Sunday, is it? Like, that's just not going to be possible. So it's just a a natural part of life. Get honest about the limitations that are built into your life right now. 
How have you grown in the past year? Where do you want to change? Where are the places that you feel powerless to change? And take your time doing the assessment. Like, you learn a lot about yourself this way. And then step two is to choose some rules or some rhythms for your own life. So in light of what you learned in the assessment, you choose some spiritual disciplines, some practices that help you uh, keep tethered to God. And so here we're asking questions like, where and when do you feel closest to God? Are there practices that you've learned over time consistently open you up to God? Are there practices that seem to frustrate you and shut you down? Like if you have things you know, I always get frustrated when I'm doing this. Maybe don't put that in your life every day. That's not, that might not work for you. What practices suit your daily and monthly and yearly rhythms and cycles? Some people need things to be weekly or daily. Some people need to work in bigger cycles than that. It works better for them to take, um, take a spiritual retreat twice a year than have a very focused daily routine. Probably should do something every day. I don't know. But, but that's, that's worth it to know about yourself. And then step three is to be accountable. Nobody's perfect. And calling it a rule for life is not necessarily going to make you more likely to keep it than a New Year's resolution. Um, you're going you're gonna to slip from this over time. And that's okay. If you find that you've fallen away, you just gently come back before God and start again. Don't be hard on yourself. But at the same time, it's awfully hard to stick to a commitment when you're the only one who knows that you made it. Right? I always go to the gym more if I committed to going with a group or I paid for a class already. So make a plan for accountability. Who will you tell about your rule for life? Choose two or three people, maybe people who've been in a small group with you or people that you see on a regular basis. And then make a plan for someone to ask you how it's going and encourage you to stay on track. Like, it's okay to say to one of your friends, like, I, but maybe this is a little bit strange, but I give you permission to ask me about this and, and like, tell me when I'm not doing great, right? Just go ahead, because it doesn't become their responsibility. Your spiritual life is always your responsibility. But it helps to give permission and authority for someone to step in and help you. Here's something I just want to mention. Um, it's probably best if that person is not your spouse. You know, because um, even though they see you pretty often, they're going to probably be the first person to know if you go off track. I'm not sure they're the person that you want to tell you every day, right? And, and it's not great if your spouse is the only person who pays attention to your spiritual life. So consider giving that um, invitation to someone outside. You probably could still tell your spouse what you're doing. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying hide it from them. I'm just saying they might not be your accountability person. Um, in the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, they give an example of a rule for life. So I'm going to show you somebody's. I don't know whose this is. It's pretty straightforward. Dedicate every day in the morning for the glory of God. Confess my sins before I go to bed. Worship the Lord alone and with others. Practice the presence of God. That's um, Practicing the presence is a spiritual discipline that's described in the book. 
Don't hold grudges, forgive others. Eat sensibly, pray for others. See my spiritual director once a month. So you see the daily and the monthly rhythms. And give all my wandering thoughts to my Savior. And so when you do this, it might look like that, pretty straightforward. Or there might be things in there that really only make sense to you. My friend Tom, not our pastor, a different guy, when he developed his rule for life, one of the rules he put in was uh, to be first over the wall. And so uh, Tom is one of my dearest friends, and he is uh, just infinitely cooler than me, like way cooler. (laughs) And uh, it's strange that we're friends. And um, I always think of that as being a, a benefit to him. But he was saying, well, actually, it kind of Like, it hinders me in this particular way because whenever somebody makes an invitation or throws out an opportunity, I find that I have to, like, kind of sit back and scan the room. Like, I don't want to say yes to something too quick in case people think it's dumb, right? Like, it was all about image and self-preservation. He didn't want to commit to something that then was going to be judged uncool. But he also wanted he was desiring to grow in responsiveness to god he wanted to be able to follow where god was leading and so he adopted this rule be first over the wall and to him it just meant whenever there's an opportunity to get involved or say yes to god i will be the first one to stand up and count myself in and that has proved unbelievably fruitful in his life um okay i this is for the sake of full transparency. I don't. I have never written a rule for my own life, so I'll be uh, applying the sermon right along with all of you this afternoon. Um, but I do know some of the rules that have shaped my decisions and practices that will end up in there. Uh, one of them is that no matter where I go or where I am, I will always be involved in a community Bible study, and I'll teach them if I possibly can. It's not because I don't trust other teachers. It's because it comes from a couple of things. One is a deep conviction that Scripture should be the central shaping force of any community. I really believe that. And I know that I have met Jesus in Scripture over and over again. But it also comes from things that are specific to me. Like, I am an external processor, so I learn better when I can chat all about something with a whole group of people. And I tend to organize and process information best if I have to teach it to somebody else. And so that rule, (laughs) that ends up being something that's very fitted to who I am and how I'm gifted and what opens me up to God. So those are some examples. There's no real prescription, and I'm, I'm offering this to you with really open hands. This, maybe this doesn't work for you, maybe it does. But I hope it appeals to you, and I hope it might be a tool that will help you grow towards fullness and maturity in Christ. And I hope that it might be a small way that we can make all of our Christmas gift exchanges uh, really stick through the new year.